Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. We catch up in a while with Adam Higgins from the Irish Sun, political correspondent, as to what is happening within that cabinet meeting and what might come out of that cabinet meeting. One thing for sure, Adam was telling me earlier this morning, the L word, not on the table. We will discuss that more when we hear from him in a while. Lockdown, not on the table as of this morning. I also want to compare again, and I will do, the numbers in hospital and ICU today compared to the numbers in hospital and ICU back in January when we didn't have vaccines. For these people who keep telling us that the vaccines are not working, vaccines are most certainly working. If it wasn't for them, we'd be completely banjaxed at this stage, as opposed to being under considerable pressure which is what we are under. And there are going to be some changes made today by Cabinet. Uh, No lockdown. Now, I'm wondering, some people are saying maybe a lockdown is needed for a couple of weeks. What they used to call a circuit breaker. Is it needed? They've done a mild or a light touch circuit breaker in Holland. In Austria at the moment, if you're unvaccinated, you have to stay at home. And they are a very, very, very hefty fines for anybody caught out unvaccinated doing something other than essential shopping. That's for the next couple of weeks. There's nothing like that sort of draconian measure uh, being proposed here. We catch up with, with Adam in a little while. But I want to go first this morning to someone who was on the show a few months ago, a member of ISAG, the Independent Scientific Advisory Group, who have been saying quietly for the last few weeks that this situation in which we now find ourselves was on the cards. Professor Aoife McLeisett of UCD, Aoife, good morning to you. Good morning. It's Look, Trinity, actually. Is it a big, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. I beg. I have to get that one in. Oh, yeah, that's so important. I know. <laughs> Aoife, looking back over Isaac's Twitter feed this morning uh, and looking back over some of your colleagues like Jerry Colleen, a good friend of the show here, that yeah. you guys have been predicting for a very long time that where we are today 
we would be. Now, people sometimes look at Isaac and they go, oh, that's the lockdown crowd. But you're not. What can we do to get us out of the corner we now find ourselves in? Yeah, so um, um, thank you very much for the invitation to speak. And you're right, you know, uh, government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable and it's an unpredictable situation, but it's quite predictable and was predicted. So, yeah, so what we've been trying to say for a long time is that if we want to avoid going into lockdown, which we do, there are other things that we should be doing. So at the moment, what I've heard the government talking about um, in, in, in the news bulletins, you know, I'm not privy to anything else. Um, they've been talking about some more antigen testing and extending the, the COVID cert to more venues. But they need to be much more um, creative and ambitious than that. So if we want to avoid lockdown, we re- really need urgent action that's going to make a big change to the um, the case numbers. And one thing that we've known for a long time is that COVID is airborne, that you catch it by breathing infected air. And there are things we can do about that. The same way we can take care of water quality, we can take care of air quality. One very simple thing that could be announced today to be um, effective tomorrow is that we should have proper masks, not just a face covering. So the, the guidance from the government says face covering, and that includes anything, you know, a T-shirt up over your nose is a face covering. But we, there are actually good quality masks that will very, very effectively block the virus. The T-shirt over your nose doesn't really do it. Um, it'll, drop, it'll, it'll catch water droplets, but it won't catch the virus. Yeah. Whereas these N95 FFP2 masks, that's the, that's the code for the, the quality standard, mm. um, they block 95% of particles, including the virus. That's extremely effective. They also, the way they're made, they tend to be a better shape so they fit your face on average a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to you sometimes see even those surgical masks, you know, they have gaping uh, holes at the, at the side and around the nose. So the, these other ones tend to be better fitting. And you can wear your cloth mask over the top of it if you prefer the look of your cloth mask. There's nothing to stop you doing that. But that's something that could be done right away. Mm-hmm. The second thing they could do is have a much, much stronger and clearer emphasis on the importance of ventilation. We've heard this mentioned, um, but it hasn't really been taken properly seriously. In other countries, um, they have to have, in order for, say, a coffee shop or a restaurant to open, they have to be certified that their ventilation is up to scratch Mm. for the number of occupants they intend to have, so for the, the capacity. And other countries are doing this very well. Like One example I think is very interesting is Japan. So Japan at the moment, their case rate is about, if you translate it to the Irish population, mm. it would be about like five or six cases a day. Really? And what they're doing, they have, they have lots of things, not just one thing. And that's, the, that's very, very important. But it includes really diligent use of masks. It includes good ventilation standards. Restaurants and cafes and things that wanted to open had to be certified that they were safe to open. They have ventilation displays. So um, Gabriel Scali described this as scores on doors. You know, yeah. before you go into a place, there can be a little, a little electronic display that's showing the ventilation status. And then you as a customer can be confident of what you're going into but let's not forget this has been talked about very much as like the point of view of the customer going into a restaurant and turn around if they don't uh, check your covid cert or whatever but there are workers as well so not only the workers in those hospitality venues but in ordinary offices and they have rights too and they should have the right to a safe workplace and that includes 
proper ventilation. So if they were really um, serious, they should be talking about these things as well, because as has been pointed out, Neffet have not asked for a lockdown mm. yet. But when they ask for a lockdown, it'll be because there is nothing else. Hold on, hold on. Hold, you're saying when, Aoife? If it happens, but I really hope it doesn't. But if they don't do anything, it will be a when, unfortunately. Because if you listen to what we're talking about and listen to anybody in the hospital service, they're saying they cannot cope with more. Yeah. At the moment, we're already, we, the, the number of people we have in ICUs is already using the surge capacity. And that surge capacity is not some magicking up of extra beds. It's taking beds away from other services. So you're cutting back on other health care in order to accommodate the COVID care that's needed. And these are people who go into ICU. Um, the ones who go in, they're the ones they feel they have a chance of saving. Let's not forget there are some people who don't even make it that far. There'll be a clinical decision that the, the person can't even be saved. So, you know, this is really, really desperate. And if we don't have a functioning health service, we are in really, really bad shape. You're going to have people who have a car accident and there won't be an ICU bed for them. You know, so we can't let that happen. I think everybody mm. agrees we can't let that happen. Yeah. So if the government doesn't take serious steps today, like with real, real urgency, um, they we will be in trouble because we have really bad situation today but we know that those are people who got infected about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So the people who got infected during the intervening time, those cases we can anticipate are going to end up in ICU. Like we are all and, thrilled uh, and, and overjoyed to see things like Ireland versus the All Blacks with a full house back again. But do you think we'll pay a price for that in a couple of weeks? Unfortunately, I think we will. And there's something very simple that could have been done to try and make that safer, which is to require masks at all times. And they didn't do that. You know, for me, nobody likes wearing a mask. Like, I don't love it either. But if that's the price to pay to have more normal everything else, I'm perfectly happy to pay that because we've seen how bad and how annoying and disruptive and damaging um, the lockdown is. So if we could say, if you said you can have your nice things, but you have to wear a proper high quality mask, it's got to be fitting your face well, and you've got to keep it at all times. Like that is, that would have made that event much, much safer. It wasn't make anything, you know, we're not trying to make the risk down to zero because that's, that's impossible. But what we need to do is we need to get that famous or value. We need to get it less than one. And at the moment, because things are so bad, we'd really like to get it less than one, a lot less than one. You know, we want cases to go down quickly. And so you just have to try and block transmission. And this is where, you know, understanding how transmission happens is really your friend here. Because if you know how understanding transmission happens, you know where you need to intervene. Mm -hmm. And it is mostly happening through aerosol in the air. It's not so what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, this is a situation we've understood and we've learned more over the last 20 months. At the beginning, everybody was talking about hand hygiene and they were talking about droplets, which are the bigger, bigger little, um, you know, droplets yeah, in your breath, droplets, yeah. which are heavier and they, they fall within two meters. So when everybody thought it was, um, you know, surfaces and droplets, then if you were more than two meters away, you were safe. But now we know that actually it isn't droplets, it's aerosol, and it's very significantly aerosol. Mm. And aerosol floats in the air, and it stays in the air for a while. And so, and it drifts across a room. And you can think of it a bit like cigarette smoke um, for people who remember what that used to be like, you know, in a mm. restaurant or somewhere. No, you don't have to be right beside the person who's smoking. It's definitely 
stronger when you're right beside the person who's smoking. Mm. But if the space isn't ventilated, it builds up in the room. And the same kind of thing is true for uh, COVID in the air. So if the space is ventilated, you're safe and it's fine. But if it's not ventilated, it's going to build up. And so this is where the masks and the ventilation are really, really, really important. And if we took care of those things, we could be saying we don't go into lockdown. So yes, like what we've been trying to argue for for over a year now is like, how do we avoid lockdown? Mm -hmm. And I think the government has had a tendency to try and say one thing is going to fix it all. So they were focused on the vaccines, saying the vaccine will fix it. And the vaccines, like you say, are great. They're really, really effective. We've had extraordinary uptake. You know, we've we've had brilliant uptake. The vaccines have done as much as they can do, but you can't leave everything on the vaccine. It's a bit like saying, I have a seatbelt. It doesn't matter if I go speeding and crash into a wall. It's like, you know, your vaccine is your seatbelt, but you also need to be careful in other ways yes. as well. Yes. And so um, this is where, you know, so if the government was really thinking seriously, if they were paying attention to the evidence today, they will not only be talking about antigen testing, but they, and, and, and extending the COVID certs, they'd be making a proper, proper um, mandate on masks to the quality of the masks. They'd be talking about closing uh, workplaces until they make themselves um, COVID safe in terms of ventilation. And a lot of places already are good. But who knows? It's very hard as an ordinary punter to know which those places are up to scratch or not. You know, places have put in filters and they put in ventilation, but other places haven't. And so certifying them a bit like with food and health, um, you know, safety, you know, that you, you don't have to go into a restaurant and check do they keep their fridges at the right temperature. You know that's done by somebody yeah. else. Yeah. And it should be the same for this. A question on schools, because it's the it's the question, it's the thing that nobody wants to talk about, but I think... Is it time to mandate primary school children to wear a mask? Yes, I think so. Um, it's very hard on them, Aoife. Well, it's worse to get COVID and it's worse to miss school. So this is not a situation where you're asking them to do something and, you know, there's, you know, uh, there's no reason to do it. The reason to wear a mask is that it better protects their health and it better protects their access to education because they're less likely to have a disruption. So this is not something we're talking about mm. long term into the future. They were advised against it, though, didn't they? They did. And that's I don't understand that the CDC in the US is specifically advising for it. Other countries are advising it. And let's just remember that primary school goes up to age 12. You know, we're not talking about. Um, toddlers here or infants so you know they could some countries it is mandated eight plus and younger is recommended um, there is no reason that um, no evidence of anything negative coming from wearing a mask especially when you're weighing up the negative against it of potentially getting covid and all of the educational disruption that comes from that so we're not so this is something that's a very simple thing that could be done um, you know Kids get used to things. It's just an item of clothing, if you think about it one way. And, you know, I have family member who had to wear an eye patch as a toddler <laughs> and, you know, pulled it off three, ten times an hour at the beginning and then got used to it. You know, that was um, so that was something that wasn't comfortable initially, but was needed for other reasons. And the child got used to it. And primary school children are much older than that. And they can get used to these things. <laughs> and that's going to help them. And it'll and protect their health it'll protect their family members because one thing we see is the cases have really gone very very high in young children 
Um, mm-hmm. And so it is clear that it is spreading in young children. And another thing that was seen was like that after it went high in those young primary school age children, it then passed to their parents and family members because the next group that started to go high was that broad age group that roughly corresponds to the expected parental age for primary school children. So, you know, it went, it went up first in primary school age and then in the kind of 35 to 45 age group, it went up and then started going up everywhere else, including the very elderly. Um, you know, so it's, it's across all age groups now that it's increasing. Okay. All right. Leave it there for today. Thank you for being with us. That's Professor Aoife McLeisett of Trinity College from the Molecular Evolution Laboratory from the Smurfit Institute of Genetics at Trinity to give it its full title. Thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line, Professor. There's one of the people who's been calling this months in advance where we were headed with this. Put masks on the children in school. It'll be hard, but they'll get used to it. They're not vaccinated yet. It could be quite a while before they are vaccinated. So put a mask on the children in school. Put, be more careful about the masks that we wear. Although someone says, please mention the crazy price of these KN95 masks. About three quid for a one-use mask. In Europe, you can buy a box of 100 for about 25 cents per mask. Yeah, those good masks are expensive. 185715996. Let us find out what's happening at Cabinet and what we might find out later from Adam Higgins of the Irish Sun next. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The Week on Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10am. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. So Adam Higgins from the Irish Sun. As Cabinet meets following a five-hour COVID committee meeting last night. I sense that uh, tensions are high around Leinster House. Would I be right? You'd be right. This is probably as tense as it's gotten when it comes to pandemic for quite a while. Um, I was told there was quite a bit of a shock around uh, the sub-cabinet table last night when Neffet came in and gave their updated modelling. They had been asked to do updated modelling that would include the situation where the vaccines are starting to wane in and around now after the start of the six months that they people are predicting that they're starting to lose some of their efficacy. And I'm told that updated modelling was extremely grim from Neffet and that it had been predicted that this wave would peak in November and cases would start to come down in December and that we could be, you know, over the worst of it by be well before Christmas. But, but now it's expected that this wave will peak at some point in December and that, that it will have a long tail of still a lot of cases every day right in the through until February. We know already that the ICUs are under pressure and this modelling shows no uh, improvement in that. In fact, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. 
the worst case scenario that I was told Neffet outlined last night would see in and around between 400 and 500 people needing ICU beds uh, if the cases got as bad as, as I predicted. That's the worst case scenario. I was told the best case scenario is that all elective procedures in every hospital will have to be cancelled in the run-up to Christmas and that they would have to focus solely on critical care and COVID-19 care, which would be obviously a very grim situation for the hospitals. A lot of hospitals already having to cancel their elective procedures. We saw the Manor Hospital in Dublin is now treating only essential care and COVID care. Now, what's going to come out of, of Cabinet today, Adam? Nobody really wants to talk about the L word, but is it on the table? No, no, lockdown is not on the table for today's cabinet meeting and I'm told Neffet didn't recommend another lockdown. But what I think the measures, there's a couple of measures that the government are looking at to try and get us through this winter without a return to that lockdown that I know a lot of people fear. So the measures are, they really want to push on the booster vaccine campaign. And from what I understand, NIAC is due to give the government the green light to go as low as people from age 50 and up to get the the booster vaccine, that's the third vaccine jab or the second if, you, if it's a Johnson & Johnson. So that would be from 50s up and I'm told there would be a great ramping up the, of the capacity from the HSE and that and there was even talk of the Defence Forces being brought back into the vaccine campaign again to speed it up in the, in the coming weeks. So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect is a greater uh, emphasis on self-swabbing and self-testing when it comes to antigen testing. So we're going to see those used in schools in some format. We'll likely see a plan on that today. And we're also going to see a plan that will see the state subsidise these tests and make them cheaper for people to use. So you'll be able to go into your pharmacy and buy a test for, I'm told, somewhere between two and three euro or a pack of five for 10 euro, that sort of thing, to make it cheaper for people to do that on their own. And then the other aspect of this then will be we're going back to that working from home call. Now, it won't be mandatory or anything like that, but the Mm. government will strongly advise people to work from home over the winter where possible. Is there a speech coming from Micheál Martin? This remains to be seen. I, I would imagine that we're going to be looking at a speech at, the, at lunchtime. The cabinet are meeting early t- this morning and then I'd imagine that we would be looking at something, an announcement around lunchtime, possibly the Taoiseach doing an interview on maybe the lunchtime news. But we could, if because of the Netflix predictions are so serious and there is a lot of concern around this, it could be a situation where we have a six o'clock State of the Nation type of speech, but with that, them sort of details have, uh, have yet to be nailed down. I, I just imagine they'll come up with a communications plan after the Cabinet fully decides what to do with this. But just to clarify something again, Adam, that you said to me a moment or two ago, for people who were worried, there is no talk at this point in time of lockdown. No, there's no talk of a return to the sort of lockdowns that we've seen, not yet in any way. And, and I think there's a couple of measures there, like we've mentioned with the booster campaigns, the, the antigen testing and that sort of thing, that they're trying to you know, mitigate against that sort of situation because the government is really, really keen not to go backwards in the, in the measures that they've already left. Okay. Adam, thank you for your time as always. Thanks a million, PJ. That's Adam Higgins of the Irish Sun speaking to me before we came on air. He has promised that if anything should emerge from that cabinet meeting, he will let us know before quitting time. Just looking at the numbers in hospital before I go to a break and compare where we are now with where we were in January when we had similar numbers by day. Yesterday's numbers, the, the numbers in the last few days have been the highest since January, February. And the number in ICU is the highest since mid-February. So, very, very good to compare and contrast.
on the yesterday, the fourteenth, well, the fourteenth of November, Sunday night, is the figures that the HSE has available. The most recent figures that it has available. So on Sunday night, there was forty people in CUH with COVID, of whom eight were in ICU. There were two vacant ICU beds at at CUH. In the Mercy, there were eleven people with COVID. Nobody in the ICU there. They just had one ICU bed left in the whole hospital. And nationally, there was 596 people in hospital Sunday night with 105 in ICU. Let's go back to January the 14th. Remember, we didn't have mass vaccination then. We didn't have a huge, huge majority of the population vaccinated. So in January, on the 14th of January, there was 1,785 people in hospital. 170 of them were in ICU. In Cork, in CUH, there was 145 people in hospital and 13 in ICU. There was 44 people at the Mercy and 4 in ICU. So don't try to tell me that the vaccines aren't working. They're keeping, literally, in this case, 1,200 people more were in hospital in January than they are now. So please don't tell me that the vaccines aren't working. And as regards the boosters, I've said this before and I'll say it again. My only response to being offered a booster will be, do you want the same arm or the other arm? 1850 Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. Corks 96 FM. Upper Glanmire Community Association presents a fantastic two part concert on Friday, the 26th of November at 8 pm, featuring the comedy stylings of the Glen Theatre Drama Group with their production of The Barber's Chair and music from the Mayfield. Men's Shed Trio. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie Corks 96fm Something completely different now. There are so many electric cars around there's a little bit of a problem with them that we might not have thought too much about and that is that they operate almost totally silently. And sometimes that can be a huge problem, not just for us, but for our pets. Rachel, good morning. Morning, love. What happened yesterday or the day before? Well, it wasn't. It was a couple of days ago and I took a morning off. I never take a morning off. And I went into town and then I came home. I rounded the corner of a tiny little terrace that I live on. It's tiny. It's, it's quiet. It's tiny. And there was my mischief. Um, who had been placed at the side of the terrace. Very lovingly, it has to be said. But what happened was, he's a kitty, yeah, he's a kitty. But he's a very streetwise kitty. So he would be out of all of my animals. He's the one I wouldn't worry about because he's outside a lot. Um, I mean, we lived in the city centre, you know. I mean, he's hilarious, was hilarious. And what happened was, he didn't even know what happened. He was just there walking along the road, didn't hear a thing, boom. So it was instant because it was a head trauma. It was instant, which I'm grateful for. But but it makes me so angry that it was so needless, you know. And then, of course, you get spooked. And then you think, obviously, the rest of the animals, I'm, I'm on high alert. 
But I'm also on high alert with Lolly because what if Lolly runs from the garden, which goes up into the terrace yeah. at the side of the house? Your daughter, and she runs yeah. up and she doesn't hear it. Yeah. Lolly, yeah. And, you know, it's and I've heard so many stories because I couldn't talk about it. But I did put it up on Facebook. I think it was yesterday. And so many people came back with stories of their own, of near misses that they've had. These are people with cars because it's like a Bond movie, PJ. It's like it's like it's like a James Bond movie where you have a silent car coming up to try and take somebody out because we don't know. We're not going to hear it Mm. under 30 miles an hour. They don't make any noise. I mean, it's spooky that they I mean, they don't make any noise. So how is that safe? What, What happens with a guide dog? who somebody's depending on to get them across the road because the, the dog's not going to hear anything. So what happens to that person? So I, I just don't know, has there, has, has there been no, no thought given to all of this? And it's not the fault of the person who has the electric car. They're, they did, because they bought, these are the old electric cars, they bought their cars to help the planet. That comes from a good place. They don't want to run over animals or worse. Mm-hmm. But but why why was it allowed? Why was it allowed? Why are these cars allowed on the road? One of, one of the things that is a selling point of an electric car is the silence of them. And I remember not so far up the road from us here uh, a number of years ago, there was a car. I wouldn't I wouldn't give the model now for fear I'd identify the owner. But it used to park quite frequently here near ninety six FM, and of a morning coming in, the guy was heading off to work, and the number of mornings that he was nearly in front of me as I was walking down the hill before I knew where he was, because the car, like you said, it makes no sound. No sound. It's spooky, PJ. That It makes no sound. So I just kind of, you know, again, I suppose, you know, it's, it's, it's thinking ahead. Why didn't somebody think ahead and think, what happens with the guide dogs when they're, when they're in the city centre or when they're anywhere? What happens... I mean, now we have, of course, now we're going with people who have headphones in as well. I mean, yeah. and they're not hearing anything. Like, we, we need a sensory to stop us from going yeah. into danger. And there's no sensory here to tell us this is danger. Kevin is so, suggesting, I'm Rachel, on Twitter that, we, that cars should come with a facility whereby the, the, there's actually a fake engine noise. Well, there's actually a choice of noises. I'd love to hear from a mechanic today. I don't know if Liam Casey is, is listening in, but he's a Facebook friend of mine and he's a mechanic. He's had a few um, experiences with these electric cars. But I know the new ones do have a choice of sounds, but it should be mandatory that you have to use a sound. I don't know if it's law that you have to have a sound on it or can you go silent. But And with the older cars that don't have this facility for sound, then then they should, the people who have bought these cars out of the goodness of their hearts should should be able to go and get that put into their cars or yeah. else they must be taken off the road. They must be taken off the road because there's going to be too many accidents happening here. This was mischief. This was a kitty. And I know some people don't understand, but he was a member of our family. Yeah. But it could have been Lolly. I mean, it could have been it could have been an elderly person crossing the road. They're not going to hear. They're not going to hear when we none of us are hearing it. It's coming up behind us. It's like a Bond movie. It shouldn't be on the roads, and something needs to be done about this, and it needs to be done soon. Well, it's funny. Someone was only talking about scooters here on the show a couple of weeks ago, Rachel, and they said the very same thing. The scooters exactly. are not supposed to be on the pavement, but they are, and they come along the side of the road there in the bike lane. And you've no idea they're coming and you're out and then before you know it, the scooter has hit you. 
So two sides. But why haven't people thought about this? Like, why haven't the people who are making these or allowing them on the roads, why haven't they thought of it? It's not rocket science. You know, it, it isn't, Pete. It's not rocket science that if something cannot be heard, if there's not a sensory to alert somebody to danger, then just like little mischief, he's going to walk around across the road as if he's absolutely fine. There's no sensory. There has to be a sensory. And I, it, it does make me angry. I suppose I'm in that phase now because of losing him. It does make me angry that nothing has been done about this um, and that they've been allowed to go on the road because it, it just... It doesn't make sense to me why that wouldn't have come up okay. during the making of these cars. All right, Rachel, leave it there. I'm sorry for the loss of your little kitty. I, I have animals myself and I know what I can't imagine what it must be like to, to lose one, but it could just as easily. Lolly is her daughter, by the way. It could just as easily be a little girl, little boy, elderly person whose hearing isn't great, even a person who's deaf in one ear. They won't hear the car coming from that side. So is it time to make it mandatory that electric vehicles, and look, they want to have a million of them on the road by 2030 and still say they can do it, or 900,000 or whatever you have in yourself. The roads would be a very silent place. See? Is it, man, is it time? I'd like your thoughts. Why don't they put a sensor in that sounds a noise when there's a person in the range of the vehicle? It could be like a beep for immediate danger. It could be less threatening sound when nearby. I really don't understand why this isn't law. And Kevin said about two years ago, he said, I said this to you, I said this to you on the air about two years ago. He said, the speaker that amplifies the car horn should be used to recreate exactly what sound a normal car makes. Tire noise alone isn't enough. It's only a matter of time before it's a child or someone visually impaired who gets hit and injured by the car. 1850-715-996. Yesterday on the programme, Grace qualified for the five, for the 10k toy giveaway. She qualified here in the opinion line. And then this happened last evening. So Grace, you were one of our qualifiers earlier on today with PJ. Remind me now, who is going to be getting spoiled if you were to win a 500 euro toy shopping spree? My little girl who's three, my little boy who's 18 months and I have another little boy who's three months. Okay, a lot of spoiling to be done then. Yes, there is. Grace, I want to hear you shout because you've just won a 500 euro toy shopping spree! Yes! Thank you so much! Yes! Thank you so much, my little girl jumping around. (laughs) There you go, that's Grace with Lorraine last evening on the big drive home. Another game of the 10k toy giveaway between 11 and 12 today. Your chance to go forward on the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. Why didn't they just make this mandatory is beyond me. Natural gas is odourless. They mix in a small little smell so that people would not be in danger. Because gas use, you know, there's a smell from natural gas. That's an artificial smell. The gas itself does not have a smell. So they put in a smell. It's the old uh, coal tar gas. They just mix it in the smell so that you can smell gas. You know, there's a smell of gas in the kitchen or a smell of gas. There's no smell from gas. That's artificial. And Tony was saying, well, why can't they do something like that with the, with the electric cars? Which is a valid point. And a lot more of you, I think, agreeing very much with Rachel that they're silent, they're brilliant, they're great, they're efficient, they're all these things. They're also very dangerous. 1850-715-996. There is a major polit- uh, conference on women in politics this week. 
Uh, it's a, a hybrid event, a mixture of online and and in person. Uh, and it's it's been run by uh, Cork City Council, uh, and it's uh, it's a major event called Women in Politics: Be the She Change. And it's actually on November the 17th, which is tomorrow. And it's got a number of, of guests speaking at that conference, including Councillor Adam, Ad, excuse me, and I beg your pardon with your name, Ada Jamimi. Good morning to you. Good morning, and thank you for the invitation. Good morning to your listeners. Now, you are the Cahirlook of Longford Municipal District Council. Tell me your own story, Councillor. Um, indeed, PJ. I um, joined the Fianna Fáil party in 2016 and in 2018 I got the opportunity to uh, to do a uh, an internship where I shadowed a local councillor in the person of uh, Joe Flaherty when he was councillor. And um, it got me thinking, you know, this is a space where um, migrant involvement will be beneficial to people in the community because uh, we have challenges in terms of access to services and supports in the community and this would be an opportunity for us to to be at the table and you know ensure that uh, the policies are more inclusive so in 2019 i got the opportunity to run for uh, for lo- in the local elections um i wasn't fortunate to get elected at that time but then in uh, 2020, uh, we had the general elections and then Joe Flaherty got elevated to the doll. So mm. um, I was co-opted to take his seat. So I ended up being a, a councillor on Longford County Council in March 2020. And then uh, I got uh, elected Cahirlock of uh, Longford Municipal District in uh, June of uh, 2021. Mm. And you're the first black woman to be elected the chair of a council, indeed elected a mayor in this country. That's a significant achievement. Indeed, and uh, it, it sends a, a positive message as well to young girls and to women, you know, just in general and to uh, to people of uh, of migrant background that, you know, the sky is the limit uh, and uh, they can aspire to any level uh, that they so desire. How important is it, Councillor, that, that our, our migrant community are in? gets involved in politics and gets involved in the running, as it were, of their new country, of their new home. It is it is of vital importance, PJ, because uh, nobody can articulate your your concerns and your issues more than yourself. And so it's very important for migrants everywhere to be part of, you know, to be part of the 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 governance. And um, I know as uh, somebody that arrived in Ireland in 2003, the last thing on my mind was to be politically active, was to, to join a political party. However, over time. I have discovered, you know, the importance of being active. So I've always performed my civic duty in terms of, uh, of voting. I went from knowing nobody on the ballot to, you know, being able to identify a couple of people to being on the ballot as well. So uh, it is so important for our issues to be at the fore, for our concerns to be addressed, for policies to be inclusive. So um, I would encourage every migrant, every member of the migrant community to get on the register uh, once they are, uh, they of the voting age and participate actively. Said you arrived in 2003. From where? I I arrived from Nigeria, PJ. I see, I see. And so looking not just to the broader idea of migrants getting into politics, but women getting into politics, the the whole 
conference is about, or the webinar is about women in politics. We know some African countries, for example, have mandatory quotas for the number of women getting involved in, in politics. What attracted you as a woman rather than as a, as a migrant? Um, to, uh, to be honest, I looked at myself as an individual that has something to contribute. And um, I was conscious of the fact that there was a dearth of, of female uh, presence in, in politics, in, in leadership, which is so important for young girls to see themselves in positions of authority. And, you know, uh, 50% or more than 50% of the population of Ireland is female. So we, it is important that we have our presence in a position of authority so that we can ensure that any decisions taken, there is a balanced view all out for every decision taken. And um, and just to ensure that, you know, all, all policies, legislation are inclusive and, you know, look after the, the everybody in society, PJ. I've often heard it said that women around a political discussion table think differently a little differently, and that that thought can add a great deal to the political process. You you surely agree with that? Absolutely, PJ. I, I think um, it's not just um, if, if we go along that line that women think differently and, uh, and men think differently. So with our combined thoughts, we're covering every aspect. We're covering each other's blind spots. So Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, we need balance to ensure that, you know, once we come out with these decisions and these policies and these legislation, we know that it's going to affect majority in society positively. Have you ambitions to try for Leinster House? Well, uh, like I said, PJ, the sky's the limit. So um, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I, I sometimes I, I, sometimes, I, I think I sense in you that you'd love to give it a bash. Uh, well, um, my my uh, policy is to try everything once. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, PJ. And uh, I, I'm de- very much uh, dedicated to advancing my political career. So, okay. yeah, wherever okay. it takes me. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line. Be the She Change is the theme of that uh, Women in Politics webinar organized by Cork City Council. Thank you, uh, Councillor Jimimi. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. All this week on the show, your chance to win yourself a 500 euro toy shopping spree in the incredible 10k toy giveaway. I want to hook you up with the smart speaker on the takeover. All you got to do is choose the music. Hey, Lorraine, turn in if you could play the script. So that's big songs, big prizes, and a bit of crack as you go home. Join me weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home with the Harvey Norman Black Friday sale. The best deals on laptops, TVs, SIM-free phones, kitchen appliances, and so much more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 
Yeah, big response to the electric car conversation I had with Rachel. Rachel's little cat, Mischief, was killed by an electric car earlier this week because he was out in the road and he didn't hear the car. And Rachel's just wondering, is it safe, not just for an animal, but for an elderly person or a child who mightn't hear the car coming? Is it safe and should they be equipped with some way to actually make even an artificial noise on the road? Decent response to that. Keep them coming at 1857-15996-083-396-9696. If you want to pop in a voicemail, uh, feel free to do that as well. But Jesse got in touch because there's someone, Jesse, I think you want to thank. You found yourself in that kind of a situation yesterday where you just as a parent want to put your hands to the two sides of your heads and your head and scream. And someone came to your rescue. Good morning to you. What happened? So I, I brought my daughter to the doctor yesterday. She's a bit of a, a throat infection. So um brought her to the doctor anyway, and I had to stop on my way home to get um, some diesel. I, I live out past the tunnel, so it was about 20 past five rush hour traffic. I knew I wouldn't make it home. Yeah. So um pulled up to the to the pump anyway. Um, it was the Amber Garage on Bandon Road. Uh, Bandon Road. Right. And um, started filling up the car anyway, and my daughter just started screaming, crying. And um, she started vomiting and she kind of started, it all happened so fast. But, you know, it kind of felt like the whole thing went on for hours, as you can probably imagine. But um, so I, I, I just dropped the pump and took her out of her car seat. She's 19 months old um, grabbed her out of the car seat and kind of pushed her forward. So if she was choking, it was just coming out of her mouth, you know. Mm. So just the pump was kind of on the floor. Now it wasn't running the diesel, thank God. But um, yeah, my poor daughter, she was vomiting profusely. Then she was choking. Now she kind of managed to clear her airways, uh, thank God. But she was so distressed, the little crater. Do you know, it was so upsetting for her. Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine I, I didn't even care where I was or who was around. Do you know, you just have to react to that situation. Um, but where the story kind of goes from there is a very kind man um, came over to the car and asked me, did he want me to, did he want to fill up the rest of the, the, the tank? Um, and I said, no, I had just pumped in enough just to take me home. But I asked him if he could go in and pay for me. So I gave him my card and I actually have, you know, the contactless. I think everyone can agree it's, geez, it can be a godsend sometimes, you know. Yeah. But so he went in anyway and um, I had reached my contactless limit. Oh, yes, uh, it was a Revolut card you, you know? gave him, yeah, yeah. Um, for Was God's it? sake I think yeah. with my bank you have, it's after three attempts you have yeah. to put in the pin now to be honest I, I was actually so panicked I were I would have nearly given the gentleman my pin um, but I just you know uh, but um, I, I didn't I, just, I thought I had enough contactless taps left but I didn't so he'd come back and you know he, he'd even gotten the receipt and said look your card was declined and I said God I said I'm so sorry so he said no it's fine he said I, I, I covered the cost and you know, I I, had, oh. I actually in that moment I had stripped off my daughter's clothes because she was covered and sick, and I was covered and sick, and she was still screaming, crying. And I said, "Look, I said I can't go into the shop if they have an ATM. It's just you know, and I wasn't going to leave her. Obviously, she was still in hysterics. So I said, "Can I take your number? And I can if you'd revolute, or I can." And and he said, "No, no." Um. So I basically that's the reason why I contacted you was it would be fantastic. Um, to, just to, if I could to find that gentleman and okay. reimburse him for the, the cost of the diesel or and even to get just to, to give a gift or something to him um, yeah. I mean you know I think a lot of parents can relate especially when they're on their own and just yeah. you know that kind of type of panic yeah. do you know that was, I, you know what I get the suspicion that 
a man who would do that would possibly be a daddy himself and would know just how much a panicked yeah. moment can t- But this was the, about what time was it, Jesse? Um, so I actually have it on the receipt. It was 25 past five. Okay. And it was the Amber Garage on the Bandon Road. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If anybody, if if that man is listening or, you know, someone might have come home yesterday. Do you know what happened to me down at the garage now? There's this woman and the child was gawking. All that, that, that. And you tell, if, if, you, if you are the man who did that yesterday or if you know who did that yesterday, she just wants to say thanks and would like yeah. to do something for you. Yeah. And you know what now, especially during COVID, I know a lot of people have been kind of, you know, a bit a bit anxious to kind of approach anyone. But the fact that that man, he didn't even question, he wasn't even, you know, he just came straight up. And at that time, it was actually a very busy garage, especially at 25 past five, I suppose, people oh, yeah. finishing uh, work and stuff. But there was just no question. I mean, it, he was a true gentleman and just the act of kindness. Good I mean, not alone if I... But I do believe karma as well will come back to him, you know. Ah, yeah, absolutely. So he would have been tall, you said, maybe gla- he had glasses and might have been in his 40s. Was he wearing yeah. anything distinctive? Jacket, colour jacket, coloured top? Um, do you know what? Can no, I couldn't really. I was in such a panic, I couldn't really take it in. But I do think he was wearing a jumper and possibly a gilet. You know, the ones with the... Sleeveless. The, there's no sleeves on the kind of a jacket. Yeah, okay. I could be wrong, Um Okay, well, that come that sticks in your memory. You might, you could be right, you could be right there. Okay, Jesse, thanks for that, and I hope the little one is she all thank right today? So she is. Oh, she is. Yeah, she, she's much better now today. Thank God, she has a bit of the antibiotic into her, but um, no, she's she's doing much better. So she's down now watching Sesame Street. So she's doing a bit better today. Thank good, God. Good for her, and Mum is a bit more relaxed, I'd say as well. Thanks for that, Jesse. If you were there yesterday, and uh, you were that man who did that little act of kindness. For Jesse, she wants to pay you back the money if you'll take it, but she'd also like to do something for you. The Amber Garage on Bandon Road, about 25 past five yesterday. 1850 996 I'll do the break first, and then we're going to talk about mental health and a new idea about peer support and how we might look at peer support in a way to help people with mental health. Do that next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Get through your afternoon with all your favourite tunes, brilliant giveaways and everything happening in Cork. Here, straight after the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Right, Councillor Paddy Deneen was on to say, Hi PJ, I drove past the Glenmire Estuary around quarter to ten. There are cattle in the estuary and on the riverbank opposite the roadway. High tide is at half past three. If they go any further into the estuary, they'll get stuck in the mud and they'll be in danger of drowning at high tide if nothing is done to avert that. Hopefully the farmer may be listening and take action. Cattle in the Glanmire estuary, they'll get stuck in the mud and they'll drown if something isn't done. Thanks for that. Party. And John in Cove reminds us that the big metal pole that's not a Christmas tree has gone up in Cove right in front of the Lusitania Monument, ready for its official opening. A travesty in front of that monument, which is so rich in heritage. I know a lot of people in Cove do not like that metal yoke that passes for a Christmas tree. 
1850-715-996. So Dennis O'Callaghan is a farmer and he is heavily involved with the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. But Dennis approached us in a private capacity in the last while. He wanted to talk a bit about mental health, particularly in rural areas, but the general subject of mental health itself. Dennis, you've come to us to to talk about your own experience with mental health, but also what you see as a lack of peer support, community support, especially in rural areas. I think it's fair to say you never thought about mental health much anyway until you had a problem yourself. I had, PJ, and thanks for the opportunity there for giving me to talk. And yes, I actually never thought that I'd be in a situation uh, ever uh, where I would have had a brush with mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but unfortunately, that day came. Uh, I, was in a, I found myself in a very dark place in a situation that wasn't my own making. Um, and because of coming through uh, what I came through, I found that in the last uh, 12 months, especially with the tragedies we've experienced, um, in North Cork especially, that something needs to be done because there's something not working. You yourself went for counselling and, and help from Pieta House and you, you found it very good. But but you're making the point, like, not everybody can do that. In fact, not everybody needs to do that. I presented myself to Pieta House uh, because... Uh, I was, uh, I suppose, look, uh, I was ashamed and embarrassed of the situation I, thought I had found myself in the previous day. Um, but I, uh, and I suppose, look, um, um, I found, I suppose, in my, in my situation that I had got a second chance. Mm. Oh, and that's, that's how dark the position I found myself in was uh, at life. And the first thing I felt about was, look, I owed it to my family um, to try to do something to right what had happened uh, but I also, um, you're right in the sense that um, I went to be at a house and when I went there, I was told I'd have to wait for maybe five or ten minutes for somebody to, to, to talk with me. And I almost walked out that door. And as I walked towards the door, a lady came out of an office and she asked me, was I okay? And she said, look, I said, I was waiting to meet somebody, but I said, I think they're busy. And she said, look, hold on, hold on. And she brought me down into a corridor with two chairs. There was no room available. And we sat there for the next hour and a half. And I told her the story as in, to, as in what had happened and how I had found myself in the situation I was in. That was entirely not my own making. And she said, how bad are you feeling at the moment? Or how bad has it made you feel? Well, I said, look, very simply. I said, I don't know if you've ever been accused of doing something that you didn't do. And how bad that makes a person feel. And she said, I have. Mm-hmm. I have. I said, oh, yes, I know exactly what the feeling. Well, I said, you can double it. Well, I was concerned because I said, um, and I um, and um, I obviously not going to go into here this evening. But um, I said, look, um, it's sort of, you, you understand the feeling I had. Um, and, I, and I suppose, look, um, when you're boxed in, or you feel boxed in, um, you kind of forget the important things in your life. Um, there's no doubt about it, um, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, my family, the consequences of what might have been uh, had, um, uh, had, 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 had I, you know, uh, had it gone through. Um, 
uh, and where I said and what I set out to do, um, and that was very frightening. Um, look, um, I I signed up for twelve sessions, but as I've said to people since then, I suppose look, and you and we've spoken about it already. I didn't ever envisage having uh, any uh, finding myself in the position I found myself in that particular dark day. Um, but also, I really started to recover quickly. Um, no, I was embarrassed, of course, very embarrassed of what had happened and so forth. Um, and it took me a good while to get over that and to kind of, you know, I wore a beard, I believe, for three and a half years after this. Why, why did you do that, Dennis? I think you get, you see, there's a, there's a stigma attached to it, like, there really is, like, and anyone that's a little bit, you know, and because people start treating you differently, they, 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 they kind of, I suppose, the people... That, that knew you and respected you kind of get to be more friendlier, if you like, and they, they, they kind of look out for you more. And did did embarrassing you wear the beard to try to hide away from the world? I think, you know, I was actually, I, had, I actually spoke with a guy one day and he said to me, you're wearing a beard. And I said, I am. He said, have you, did you always wear a beard? I said, no. He said, I know. He said, oh, you're wearing the beard. Because said, you actually, you're actually hiding behind the beard. Because I've been there myself. And I said, you know what, you're dead right. And that's and look, that did happen. Um, and and it's great that you came back from from that. But when you're done with the the, the course in, in Pieta, thankfully you were well again after a period of time. That set you thinking about other things, though, didn't it? It did because, like I said to you, um, you know, after the third session, I was and into the fourth one, I found that look, I was I was Dennis O'Callaghan again, right? Yeah. But and I was like the fellow that was sent to hospital with a bad flu by the doctor. But in actual fact, I wasn't as bad at all as I thought. And I was recovering fast. And I suppose I was looking at what was, what I, what surrounded me. And I was sitting in waiting rooms for my slot and seeing the people coming in, bringing, and it was alarming at the time to me, bringing a lot of young people in for counselling. Uh, I'm not talking about people in their teens, in their early 20s. Um, and, you know, looking at the people that actually brought them in and actually spoke to a couple of them on different occasions, that was either an aunt or an uncle, or maybe their mother or a father, but to be honest about it, it was more like an aunt or an uncle. Or that. And that put me thinking, like, you know, the stigma, is it, the, is it because the baby, that the, 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 the immediate family found it hard to bring somebody in for counselling? I, 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 you mightn't believe it, but I, I, I think there was something in that. But I also saw that the people that were bringing, that were making that journey with these people for counselling, in actual fact, I would say some of them needed a bit of counselling themselves. Because I think they found themselves in a situation probably on the drive-in. What do I say to this fella or this girl? How do I address it? Do I ask them how they get on today? Uh, and so forth. You know where I'm coming from. I do. And, um, you know, um, so look, that was one element. Another thing, I made a few notes then, right, of different things, again, a few other things. And when I was finished my sessions, uh, I actually did a bit of research into people who had attended there as well. And look, there's great people in theatre. There's no two ways about it. But it's like every other organisation. You know, it's, it's stretched, completely stretched. Like, you know, I can only co- cater for so many people every day. Um, the other thing is, like, it's in Cork. Now, uh, um, and people uh, down the country don't... Uh, there's people down the country actually would find it a bit of a journey to go to Cork, yeah. the theatre house, believe it or not. I felt, I felt that if we had... If we could set up something locally, and I set about... Um, I met with HSC and I met with various organisations. Could it be done? But to this day, and as of yet, nothing has been done. Um, and as I was asked um, last week, do I think 
is you know is, is our health mental health system working it's not of course it's not working because if it was we wouldn't be seeing the tragedies we're seeing yeah what what do you think is broken in it dennis from your own personal experience well look i'll put it this way right um no matter what's broken in life you need somebody with a bit of experience to fix it right doesn't matter whether it's something materialistic in your life or whether it is like you know if we if we're sick we need to go to a doctor and a doctor uh, will tell us uh, about our, 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 our illness or whatever, right? Mental health, people refer to it as an illness, and it is an illness, of course. Mm. But we're seeing something in the last number of years that, that maybe, while it is, we can call it a mental health issue, but it's triggered by other things. It's triggered by things in our lives. I think it's pressure. A lot of it is pressure. Um, uh, I see it out in rural Ireland, especially in the farming community. Look, PJ, we're living on what we earned. 30 and 35 years ago for what we produce. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody can live on what they earned 35 years ago. I worked over 30 years ago in Dublin and I was, and I was getting about 170 or 80 pounds a week, right? And I was getting a bit of commission. I was driving even delivering cheese. And I couldn't live in Dublin today in 180 pounds, which would be equivalent to about 200 euros. Now it's just a bit with it. Um, um, but yes, farmers are. And farmers, see, farming is a, is a very... Farmers are very passionate about what they do. They take incredible pride in what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for them. People will say, oh, why did you just sit up and get out? That's not, you know, I heard a brother-in-law of mine, not the rest of them, he's passed since, said to me one day, farms are given to us to be, to be looked after and to be passed on. And hopefully in a better state than when we got them. And, and you know, he was so right. That's actually, it was a very, that, that's, that's so right with the farmers. Because, Farmers don't. The last thing a farmer wants is to give up his land. We've seen look evictions. We've seen receiverships and farms and so forth. And we'll see a hell of a lot more of them, by the way. And this is what I, you know, and it's frightening. It's frightening to think that this can happen to people. But you can't live on what you were getting years ago. Like, we've heard the expression in the last few years, from the farm to the fork. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, can I put it to you this way? If I'm saying the other way, go from the fork to the farm. Because when you start at the fork, there's billions being made out of the industry. And by the time you get to the farm gate, there's nothing left. Yeah. There's nothing left. They're only barely scraping by. I had a family recently at a meeting where a farmer stood up and said his income for the year was 9,000. He had four kids. His, his wife goes out to do a bit of part-time work. You can't live on 9,000 with four kids. No. No, you can't. You be can done. No. And these people are. Now, you can see where that leads. And, and, and the problem it's leading to. Then we have the other people out there at the moment who are into milking. Commercial farming, we call it, where there's hundreds of cows involved. Their lives are gone straight away. They don't have a minute to themselves any, at any time in part of the day. And they're all young people, uh, heavily bothered. Where is that going to end up? I ask myself. Do you know? Look, I'm in my, in my, in my 50s, right? What can I do as a, as a, as a I'm vice president of ICSA? Um, my commitment on the day I was elected was farm incomes and try to improve the farm incomes. Uh, I spent 35 years in the food industry. Um, and I suppose between what I'd seen in the food industry and what I see in the farm, um, um, and, and it hasn't changed, by the way, in any shape or form. Um, I, if there's anything I can do is if I can, if I can open the door in, in any way to help all these people that are in trouble and make it better for the young people out there today that are farming, that are farmers in their own right and have the same pride as their, the, the people before them in what they're doing. But with the help of God, won't end up in the situation that a lot of other people have ended up.
the incomes are tiny, the debts are huge, that puts massive pressure on people. So where does the help come from? What can we do for them? Well, the first thing we have to do, look, and can I just step away from mental health at the moment? We already have illustrations, we already have the evidence and the proof of what's going on, but there's nothing being done about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if something isn't done about it fast, it'll be too late. This, this just isn't coincident. This isn't just happening. This is made happen. And I go back to the fork, to the farm. Look at the fork. By the time it reaches the fork and you're about to put it into your mouth, there's billions made out of it. Go back to the farm gate where it originated and there's poverty. Yeah. Poverty and that's all you can call it. Yeah. And poverty leads to all other situations that you know well yourself. And this is where I see the whole thing going if something isn't done about this. Um, it's the same people. Uh, when you look at the rich list every year, it doesn't change. It's the same people who are making the same money, billions out of, out of what they do. And we, you just have to ask yourself, how could that be? Yeah. And look, I, have, I feel that I've got a second chance here. And I suppose, look, if I can give something back, because on that, on that dark evening, I got my life back. And what is it that you're trying to do, Dennis? What, what do you want to do? What I'm trying to do? to do is create an awareness and create an awareness at both sides, both to the people that are causing the stress and so forth. And, and, and believe you me, there are, there are organizations that are, that are causing this. Um, and to the people that are the victims. That it's not, it's not you know, we've heard it said, it's not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with saying it's, I'm not okay. Well, what I want to put it out there is that, that it's perfectly... Uh, uh, it's, it, that it's actually it's actually very good if anyone had come out and say look I'm not okay but I didn't make this mistake can you help me and know that there's somebody there is going to help and there's some organisation there that will step in and help um, we saw it with the mortgages we had the MABS uh, people set up there to help people that were in distress with mortgages well I think we need something in that line to help the people that will be in trouble who are in trouble yeah. uh, whether it be a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And in farms or with, with, with small businesses, uh, because small businesses are suffering very hard as well. There's no two ways about it. We look at the price, uh, prices rising in this country. Can anyone stand in front of any of us tomorrow morning and tell us why diesel and petrol is the price it is? No, they can't. Can they tell us why our food bill has gone up? No, they cannot. Can they tell us why, um, uh, why our, our rental uh, situation and accommodation for our young people? 
And I don't know, did you see what I called the nail in the coffin yesterday? What was that? In our new finance bill, seeing there's something coming out that anyone and any parent that will help their, 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 their children going forward. In other words, giving them, we can't give our children a loan anymore. I saw that. Indeed, I haven't I read did. it fully, indeed, indeed, but, I, yeah. but I saw it. And, I, and straight away, I said to myself, my God, we can't even help our kids now. And that's the government we have today. And, like, how can you see anything being fixed while all that's going on? How important is it, Dennis, that people, farmers or anyone in rural Ireland or small business people, like you say, have someone to turn to that understands, like you do, what it's like to be there. You see, the the problem is, uh, and it's a, and and, and it's, it's, you know I just mentioned rural Ireland. What an awful lot of farmers um, are experiencing at the moment. There's been an awful lot. Though we always spend time on our own, but when I was growing up, there was always, you know, there was a couple of people in every farm, right, and and twelve or family members or whatever. But there was. Nowadays, there's one fellow there, especially in the in the, in, the, in the beef area of things where he's on his own and probably doing a part-time job as well. Uh, we've seen a few tragedies there where, where people uh, were injured by machines. Um, and to me, that was, you know, in some instances, it could have been that they were tired and they come in from work in the evening, they go down to look after the cattle and look, it has happened to us all. Anyone that will tell you that they've ever had anything to do with machinery. We make a slip up and, in the, and, and that slip up can cost people their lives. Um, but going forward, they're going to spend an awful lot more time on their own. Now, if you're on your own 24-7, they're coming back to the house. They may, they're married to maybe a lot of times a professional in her own right. Uh, she has her holidays. She has her days off and so forth. But she's trying to look after the kids, trying to keep the house going. And by the time he gets back, they're all in bed. So, again, even though there's people in the house with him, he, he, they're not, there's very little communication going on. Um, now, people say, oh, just have the phone and they can Snapchat and all. Yes, of course they can. But no, no, there's nothing better than sitting down with somebody and having a cup of tea. There's a feel good factor in it, and no one can deny that. Looking into a phone and, or speaking down a phone is a different situation altogether. And I think, you know, that's what made it in rural Ireland. People sat around tables. People said to me, was the pandemic a bad thing? I don't think, it, I think, yes, of course it was a bad thing. It, it, it took people. But was it the cause of what we've seen? Not at all, not in any shape or form. In anything, is there any few good things we could pick out of it? Is that, look, people started sitting down, talking to each other. They started talking to their neighbours. They started doing bits of painting. In the kitchen, the children started to see their mothers baking because in, in, in the shops we saw flour was flying off the shelves. Flour, lunch boxes, something that people hadn't bought for years. There was a, sh- a shortage of them at one point. Flasks, another shortage. Why? We were going back to the old way. And you know something? There was, no, there was nothing wrong with the old way. Yeah. Because we didn't, in, because I, I, and, I, and I can I say this, uh, as a man in his 50s, I've, as a young, a young fella, I never saw the tragedy that we're seeing today yeah. in rural Ireland. So there is, like, you know, it's the isolation, um, it's the pressures that are being put on people, and as I said, people on very low incomes, and then, 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 then look, you, you might have a guy in a farm, and he's and he sucked for cattle and beef, and he's working hard, and he's doing a great job. But he's not, of course, he's not making any money. And then he's his neighbour next door who's making two, two or three hundred cows, and he looks to be up a great show. And, you know, there's a bit of embarrassment there, and the man says, what am I doing wrong? But in actual fact, he's doing nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. He's doing a great job. Um, but he's not getting paid for it. And that's why, you know, as Vice President of ICSA in Munster, my commitment was that I, that I would focus on farm incomes and finding ways um, 
to, to, to increase them and I suppose weeding out the corporates that have stopped us from earning the money we should be getting um, for the last 30 years. And, and like they, they are facts. This just didn't happen. They are facts. I think the, the, the nub of the conversation we're having here, Dennis, is that the, the mental health crisis in farming and in rural areas and small business didn't just happen. It was caused and continues to be caused. It was caused. Exactly. 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 You know what? You mightn't say it, but I, but, but, but I will say it. This criminal in a lot of things, in, in ways, what has gone on. And, 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 and that's, that's put it very mildly. Criminal, I'd call it. And the establishment of peer support groups in rural areas, you know, the, the village hall, the local clinic, just coming together to talk. That's what you want to do, isn't it? That's what I wanted to do. What I said was, if we try this first, right? Try it, in, try it locally. If it works, it's something we can roll out around the country. You can't, you won't take it do it all in a day. This, this, and then you won't do it in a year or you won't do it in five years. But if we, if we started and rolled out and, you know, like everything that you start, there will be ups and downs and so forth. But you know what? If we started to save lives, if you only saved one life, what price can you put on a life? There was a price put on my life in the situation I was put into. Uh, um, but what price can you really put on life itself? Of course, you can put no price. And Dennis, if anybody is listening to us who would like to contact you, how would they do that? Well, they can contact your, your, yourself, your good selves there, um, uh, PJ. I have no problem with that. If any organisation wants to talk to me or anything like that, or people themselves even. Um, like I said to you, I'm, I've done this interview this evening as Vice President for ICSA, but independently. Um, I'm not doing it as the Vice President. I am Vice President, but I'm not doing it. Yeah. I wanted to do this uh, for myself and from the people, and if, there's, you know, and if there's people out there listening to me, or people that may feel they have a lot more to add to what I have said, uh, and I'm sure there are, why should we wait any longer? If they want to come to us, we can put them in touch in turn with you, uh, and maybe you get something set up. Start a conversation, I guess. Well, look, I put it this way. Um, when, and I've said this, uh, I've said this in, in various places around the country, uh, you can go to farming organisations, uh, big organisations, and they'll tell you, oh, I'll be in Dublin next week, and the person you need to talk to now, I'll be talking to them. Can I tell you this? And I'm telling you this now from ICSA. When you come to ICSA, you ring the office, and within an hour or two, the person you need to talk to will ring you back. Or if they don't ring you today, they'll definitely ring you tomorrow. Or when you come to our meetings, you'll meet the people you need to meet. You'll either meet myself, or you'll meet our president, Dermot Kelleher, um, and there's various other officers in the organisation that will help people with various issues, whether it be grants or whatever. There's people that help you with all issues, really. But mental health is something that, to be honest about it, they're, they're, they're coming behind me with it. Well, then, if someone is listening to us right now and feels that they agree with you and they'd like to help you to start a group somewhere, could we put them in touch with you? Oh, God, I'd be, I'd be more than... I'd, I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted if, some, if, if, if they feel that... This, what we've said might make that happen because, um, you know, um, I've been thinking about this over the weekend and so forth. And look, um, if what I've said will help anyone out there, if there was people listening that are prepared to do a bit, and if we all did a bit, we could create a lot and make a lot happen. Well, if anyone contacts us, we'll put them directly in touch with you. Dennis, it's been, it's been a pleasure to speak with you and I wish you well. 
Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Peter. I spoke to Dennis a few days ago, so I think since we spoke that thing in the Finance Act about the Bank of Mom and Dad, I think that may have been quietly scratched out. So that's a small little bit out of date. But thank you, Dennis. If anyone would like to take him up on that, start a conversation. Maybe put, we can put you in touch with him if you're interested. 1850-715-996 or email opinion at 96fm.ie. Remember, this Friday is a free Santa Friday. That's it, that time of year again. Free Santa Friday for Magical Blarney on Cork's 96FM. Listen across the day on Friday for your chance to grab a family pass for Cork's ultimate Christmas experience. Win your way to Magical Blarney at Blarney Woolen Mills this free Santa Friday, only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Performing songs from her much-anticipated forthcoming album, Shiva, announces her infinite space tour across Ireland this November. Her new album is set for release next year and she plays Cypress Avenue tonight. Access all areas. Indie 22 has announced the headliners and first act set to play the long-running music festival in Mitchelstown next summer. Bastille, Fatboy Slim and Rudimental Live will headline the three nights over the August Bank holiday weekend with weekend camping tickets on sale now. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. I think this next topic of conversation is a genius idea. Women's Aid getting together with the hair and beauty industry to promote awareness of domestic abuse and maybe be a way for women in particular, I guess, to flag the fact that they are being abused or in an abusive relationship so they can get some help. Where better to do it, you might think, than at your hairdresser or your beauty therapist. Valerie Finnegan, Valerie Finnegan Cahill with Icon Hair Design. Hi, Valerie. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Thanks this, for having me on. Delighted to have you. This is a genius idea because the relationship between, and in particular a woman and her hairdresser, it, it's it's another friendship really, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, and it's a relationship that's built over time. Do you know what I mean? And trust. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very unique relationship, to be fair. So, you know, we have clients, yeah, years and years, yeah. you know. Tell us about how this campaign will work. Okay, so the campaign came about because Havoc, which is the um, hair and beauty industry, it's, um, they approached women's aid because of the amount of... Um, the amount of, of calls that they were getting about, you know, their staff having to, you know, when their clients would confide in them, do you know what I mean? What would they say? How could they help them? And this had become quite, um, it, it, had, it had heightened um, after COVID. <laughs> so they wanted to, to see what, what, what could be done. So Women's Aid and Havoc, the hair and beauty industry, came up with this initiative, which I think is absolutely fantastic. There are 
there are over so uh, packs uh, with resources, with posters and leaflets and QR codes, will be going to over 2,500 hair and beauty salons across Ireland. Um, and in those packs, there will be, um, you know, posters for our for our staff to have in the staff room. There'll be leaflets. And I love the QR code. Um, so this is a decal which would go on the mirrors in the salons. Or it just depends. Every salon owner is going to be different. And obviously it would be a discussion with the team as well. So it can either go on the mirrors in front uh, at the sections or maybe the mirror in the bathroom, depending on how much exposure you wanted to. Because it's, it's quite a private thing as well, you know. <laughs> so you'd scan this code and uh, it would bring you directly to a 24-hour helpline for women's aid and their website so i suppose really pj our industry is just really looking to be like to signpost Mm -hmm. you know where where is the best place to go to get help and to kind of be a gateway really you know Okay. I hope I've explained that properly. You have, indeed you have. So the the little sticker would be on the corner of the mirror maybe or, exactly. or something. Yeah. And all the woman has to do or is is just scan it and all the information comes straight onto her phone. She doesn't have to talk to anybody, just just be aware that no. it's there. No, no, not at all. It's 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 quite discreet and it's you know, it's a way of um of just being supportive, you know, because, mm. you know, it's creating a safe space as well. And, you know, the hair salon or the beauty salon is is just exactly that, you know. Mm-hmm. And as you already touched on, the relationship with their stylist or their beauty therapist, you know, sometimes it has been formed over years and um, it's a place that they could get support as well. Okay. Okay. Well, I wish you well with the campaign. The packs are going out at the moment and they'll be turning up on mirrors on a mirror near you, as it were. The 24-hour national free phone helpline for women's aid is 1-800-341-900. 1-800-341-900. Valerie, thank you. That's Valerie finnegan Cal from Icon Hair Design. 1850-715-996. Reminder to you, it is time to think about your Christmas jumper day every year in Cork. Thousands of you get together to help fight homelessness with Cork. Simon by wearing your Christmas jumper and raising vital funds. And this year, like many previous years, Cork's 96FM with Cork Simon asking you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever and however you feel safest doing so. Do it in the office, if you're still in the office. Do it at home. Do it online. Have a Zoom call with your friends and colleagues or even family overseas. You can get a fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and then join Cork's 96FM as we help once again to fight homelessness in Cork. 1850-715-996. A few more of your comments. We had, as I said, a big response to the uh, call from Rachel about electric cars being too silent and a danger to animals like her little cat uh, who's knocked down or worse to a child or an elderly person who might not be able to hear or see or whatever. Uh, new electric cars all have mandatory noisemakers. Yeah, we know. And Rachel did point that out. Some of the new ones do have mandatory noisemakers, but you can, unfortunately, switch them on and off. You can even decide what noise you want. Uh, How many animals have been killed by petrol cars? I can't believe to put the responsibility or blame on EV users. It's not a good thing, and people should be more responsible themselves. Well, that's what about her 
please, whoever sent that in. Uh, yeah, of course, thousands of animals and people have been killed by petrol cars, but let's give us some opportunity to hear the things coming. As for people with headphones, they're walking out in front of noisy diesel cars, vans, buses and trucks. You can only help what can be helped. While adding sensors to electric vehicles might be a good idea, it would also cause a more widespread problem. People would be jamming on their brakes everywhere, causing unnecessary accidents, particularly on narrow roads with footpaths and pedestrians alongside, and even in general traffic. The sensor would be constantly bleeping. The realistic solution is to add a sound, yes, and to resort back to people and animals hearing vehicles like they always have done. I PJ, every day I have to beep at people and dogs here where I am it's very dodgy uh, uh, yeah they're all walking out in front of me sorry I agree completely with Rachel I recently changed my car the silence of the electric cars are a deterrent to me to move to electric I think they're very dangerous for children and for animals 1850 do you know the way your child might be a pain in the neck do you know a bold little devil. Or do you know that they might just be absolutely rubbish in school and you don't know where it came from or worse again that they might suffer from terrible anxiety and nervousness and you're wondering is it your parenting? What do you have to do to try and parent that out of them? Well, I'll be talking to someone after the news who says actually sometimes you can't it's genetically wired into them that some of the traits of our children, like anxiety, like being bold, is actually wired into them. In their genetics. That and plenty more after the news. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Roy King stands up to a Manchester United fan who confronted him outside Old Trafford. Uh, the pundit, who's 50, was given as a supporter his autograph when the man started to criticise him for not signing autographs. Uh, so he accused the fan of having a few drinks and the pair had a bit of a heated row. It's kind of one to tell the kids, really, that you, uh, you, had, a, you had a confrontation with Roy yeah. King and you lived. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the bear and the revenant. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool. For Skoda in the city, a long standing tradition in Cork. Open 24 7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. We had an Opinion Line winner yesterday in the 10K toy giveaway. Grace, who qualified here on the show for the draw, went forward to win last evening with Lorraine on the big drive home and I will give another opportunity to another Opinion Line listener to go through to that draw within the next 40 minutes guarantee to do it before quarter to 12 listen out for it the cue to call then text or WhatsApp your name straight away to 083 396 96 96 come on the air answer a simple Christmas related question 
Bob's your uncle. You're into the draw this evening. Grace won yesterday. Could be you today in the 10K toy giveaway, which I guarantee to do before quitting time today. There seems to be a problem with booking COVID tests. We've been getting a few messages all morning. Morning, PJ. Can you please ask those in whatever department who are responsible for setting up COVID tests the following question? I'm trying to get a COVID test, but there's no availability in Cork since yesterday. You can look two days in advance, up to Wednesday is now fully booked. I could go to Dunmanway tomorrow. That's my only option, but sure, it's not viable. In my view, this will lead to people simply not getting tested. It is too long to wait. I went on yesterday. I saw Monday and Tuesday were booked out. So I went on this morning at half seven, only to find that Wednesday is now booked out too. Can the opening hours be extended for this peak in cases, perhaps? Yeah, how many people so are out there not tested and maybe contagious in the community? So there seems to be a severe shortage of testing slots in Cork at the moment. We're getting a few, there's a few more messages in about that as well. Also, on the subject of what Aoife McGlyson was saying about masks for primary school children, she believes it is now time for primary school children to be wearing masks. Yes, it's uncomfortable. No, they won't like it. But they will get used to it. And at the moment, we know that the thing is spreading like wildfire in the schools. And when they come out of the schools, they're bringing it home. It, it's just science. It, they're not vaccinated. And of course, they're bringing it around. Morning, PJ. Listening to your speaker with interest as regards masks for primary school children, I would not be in favour. I think it would cause a lot of anxiety. I think children will be constantly touching them and wouldn't this go against proper use? Children have enough to put up with. I even notice when I see children wearing masks out and about, I see anxiety in their little eyes. Even when they see me wearing a mask, I feel so sorry for them. This is just my opinion. I'm glad I don't have children in primary school. Many thanks, says Josephine. And John was on about the vaccines. He says... John O'Donovan, I know you're saying people are staying out of hospital, but the point is, they're not. And the vaccinated portion of hospitalised ICU is increasing all the time. It's time to admit now this policy of vaccination, at least as a method of reopening society, has failed. Catherine Mother- Motherway was on TV last night, talking about serious cancer surgeries being cancelled. You know very well by the time January comes, we're going to have an even bigger percentage of people in ICU that are vaccinated. They're talking about the booster jab now. Maybe that'll see us right and maybe it won't. But that's only for another few months. Well, John, you, I believe, still remain unvaccinated. So I don't know why you're talking about jabs or anything. But the figures stand up for themselves. The figures absolutely stand up for themselves. November the 14th, 596 in hospital, 105 in ICU, which is bad. That's bad. That's very bad. But January 14th, no vaccines out there, 1,785 in hospital and 170 in ICU. So nearly twice as many in the ICU and nearly, nearly four times as many in the hospital in January where nobody was vaccinated. Those are the numbers that stand up for themselves, John. But I do take your point and thank you for making it. 1850. 715996. Do you ever wonder about the habits of your children, about their behaviours, about the things that they develop 
Where does it come from? How can you help? Parenting is far from an exact science. God, do you think immunology isn't an exact science? Parenting is the most inexact science on earth. But a new book might help us with that. It's called The Child Code, and it's written by a geneticist, Dr. Danielle Dick, and she says it takes genetics out of the lab and into the parenting skill set by recognising that in actual fact, genetics makes up for enough, explains an awful lot more about our children than we previously thought. It's a fascinating field, and I've been talking with Dr. Dick about it. Dr. Danielle Dick, the things we thought that we got from our parents, eye colour, maybe blood type, height, uh, hair colour, that sort of thing, we all know that they're determined by DNA, but your work has found that other things are determined by DNA, like behaviour, attitude, personality even. Absolutely. So it turns out that almost any behavior you can think of has been studied with methodologies, with twin studies, with adoption studies that allows us, allow us to tease apart how much is genetically influenced and how much of the differences between us are due to our environment. And it turns out that virtually every behavior that's been studied, so whether it's impulsivity or anxiety or extroversion, it's about 50% heritable, meaning about half of the differences between us are due to differences in our DNA. So it's many of these things are as heritable or as genetically influenced as lots of the things that we think about in terms of biomedical outcomes that we think, oh, yes, of course, cardiovascular disease and cancers have genetic components, but behaviors have strong genetic components as well. Talk a bit about personality. Like if you take someone who is very naturally outgoing, married to someone who's a bit more introverted or has a child with someone a bit more introverted, how do we know on which side of that fulcrum, as it were, the child will, will emerge? Yes, it's a great question. So for complex things like personality and kids' temperament, they're not influenced by a single gene. So, you know, there's no gene for our kids throwing massive fits when you're at the grocery store. But what there are are thousands of locations in our genome that influence an outcome like extroversion, how drawn we are to other people and new places and trying new things. And so where you land, your kind of natural tendency on extroversion is a combination of how many of those genetic variants you have that increase the behavior, make you more extroverted, and how many you have that decrease the behavior, make you less extroverted. And so we actually are in the process of finding all of these genes involved in behavior, and we can literally sum up and create a genome-wide score for what somebody's likely propensity will be. They're not very good yet, but in the future, they actually could be. But that's what's going on behind the scenes. And so if you have two parents who are one who's higher on extroversion and one who's lower on extroversion, then the parent who's higher on extroversion is carrying probably more of those 
thousands of genes, remember, but more of them that are making them more extroverted. But they probably have some in there that reduce extroversion a little bit too. And the more introverted parent carries more of the genetic variants that make them less extroverted, you know. And um, so every time you essentially have a child, a child gets half of their DNA. It's a random, like a grab bag of what 50% of those genetic variants they get from biological dad and what 50% they get from biological mom. And so it's like flipping a coin each time. So a more extroverted parent has more extroverted genes. So they're likely to pass along more of those to the child. And then they're likely to get more of the introverted ones from the more introverted. So they might end up kind of average, but it's possible that, you know, you can flip a coin over and over and get Heads, 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 heads. It's not likely, but it's possible. And so that's why it's possible that, like, they might happen to get the extroversion decreasing genes from the more extroverted parent and the opposite combo from their other parent. So you can actually end up with a child who might have two introverted parents, but they just happened to get those, you know, um, those genes that increase extroversion from each parent, and they end up more extroverted. So it's 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 not a 50-50 split. It isn't. It's random what 50% each child gets. And that's why sometimes we can look at our kids and go, oh, I totally see where that comes from. You ended up looking much more like your dad on that trait. And other times we look at our kids and we go, where in the world did that come from? Because... <laughs> They just inherited a kind of the the quieter, the more hidden genes in each parent. And so they end up with a trait that actually looks much more different from each of their parents. A couple might have two or three children. And one of the children is very like dad in terms of personality. Another is far more like mom. The third child has traits of both their personalities. Is that the random selection in operation? You really don't know until the child is born and grows up. You really don't, meaning, so there are, each of us in our DNA, it consists of three billion base pairs, and most of that is shared across all of us. It codes for the fact that we have two eyes and two ears and, you know, ten fingers and toes. But that 0.1% of the DNA that differs is 3 million locations in our genome that differ in all the combinations thereof. So when you have siblings, you're essentially drawing from the same gene pool each time if they have the same two biological parents. But what 50% you get out of those 3 million variations that differ that each parent can, can be very different each time. And so just by chance, sometimes you end up, like you said, with siblings that are more similar to each other or very different or more similar to one parent or another parent. But one of the things that we can start to do as parents is, you know, kids have developmental shifts that they all go through. So most of us who are parents remember when our kids, you know, were toddlers and, and learned the word no and liked to use it all the time. So some of those things are just kind of developmental. But our kids' temperamental traits, the things that represent their genetically influenced personality, the way each of them is wired, those are the behaviors that start to show up 
consistently after about age two or so, Mm. and they show consistency across time and across situations. And so, you know, if you have a child who is scared of the dog walking down the street, well, maybe all kids are going to be scared if there's a snarling dog walking down the street. But if your child is scared, even when it's the friendly little dog on the street, and they're scared to go to school, and they're scared if they have a play date and they haven't met the new person, then you can start to realize, oh, okay, my child clearly has a disposition to be more prone toward fear or anxiety. And that way you can start working with them on those skills that they might not naturally have been born with. And you know, there is the thing, when a child has these anxieties, parents will look at one another and say, hang on, neither of us have anxieties like that. Where did this come from? Yes. And so one of the um, one of the reasons that I wrote my new book out, The Child Code, is because I found my research to be so helpful when I was raising my children. Um, and when I had my son, I found myself raising the challenging child that I study. And so <laughs> it was so helpful for me to understand his temperament. And so actually in my book, what I have are um, – quizzes for parents to fill out about each of their children where you're answering questions about your children across these three big genetically influenced temperamental dimensions. Because when you understand where your child naturally falls on something like extroversion, how prone are they to wanting to seek out new people, new places, and try new things versus do they naturally want tend to hang back a little bit more and feel more comfortable with, you know, a friend or two? Um, how prone is your child toward emotionality? Are they a child who is more prone toward fear and frustration and distress? Um, or is your child more go with the flow? Um, and is your child more impulsive naturally, more of a risk taker? Or is your child a little more guarded? Understanding where your child falls on these big three dimensions can help you then understand what are their needs? You know, what are the areas that you need to work with them on some particular skills that might not come to them naturally? (laughs) And how do you tailor your parenting to what's going to work best for your child? Because there's so much parenting advice out there. And most of it ignores how important genes are in our kids' behavior. And so by understanding our kids' dispositions, we can go from being reactive, right? Like, oh my gosh, why is my child throwing fits? Or why is my child so anxious? Or whatever it might be, to being more proactive, where it's like, okay, this is how my kiddo is wired. And so here's what I need to be paying attention to and how I can kind of help them accentuate their strengths and avoid what might be some of their kind of more um, natural challenges that they could be prone to. Okay. Because like there is no, I mean, I've often said, and my children are in their 20s now, I've often said the one thing that I went looking for when they were born was the instruction book. And, and, And there isn't one. Yes. I always say there is no one right way to parent. Hmm. There are just, you know, good ways to parent different types of kids. In fact, you know, being a good parent is being a flexible parent. It's understanding our kids are all wired differently. Their brains all work differently. And so we need to figure out what is going to work best 
for how each of our kids is wired. Sometimes we see in our children elements of our own personality that we ourselves dislike. <laughs> yes. And would prefer they didn't develop. Can we do that? Can we can we influence that development? Well, it's such a great question. And I will say to you, I remember my mother, we laugh about it now, looking at me at some point when I was a teenager and saying, all of the things that drive me most crazy about myself, I now have to deal with in you too. (laughs) And so it is absolutely true that our kids can inherit some of our not best qualities as well. Um, But I also want to remind parents that how we perceive different characteristics in our children, right? How difficult they might be can actually change across their life, right? As they're developing. And so some of the things that make smaller kids particularly difficult, right? They're more stubborn, they're more defiant, they're more prone toward big feelings and getting upset about things. They can make it really hard for parents But those same characteristics we know are also associated with, as they get older, being more likely to stand up for themselves and to speak up against injustice. And so, you know, we we might hope for really compliant children who just happily do what we ask of them, but that's probably not how we want them to be as adults. And so it's important to remember that there's good and not so good that comes with all kinds of disposition. And I sort of think our role of parents is to focus on the good parts and uh, to help them give them some strategies to reduce the challenges that can come with, you know, the not so good parts that can come with any disposition. I happen to be, I have a son who is very high on emotionality. He was prone to getting really upset about things. I was like that as a kid and as an adult, You know, I too have, I'm prone to getting upset about things. I have learned strategies to manage that. I don't throw temper tantrums the way that I did when I was five. And so we can certainly help our kids learn to develop skills, whether they're ones, whether they're for traits that are shared with us or whether they're for traits that we're like, wow, I was not a kid who threw temper tantrums. So this feels very frightening or foreign to me but we can still help them develop skills to manage those dispositions. So looking to the future, Danielle, how might we we use this knowledge that we now have? So right now, my hope is that we can raise awareness about how important kids' genes are in shaping their behavior because we have largely ignored this as a society. And I think it's because parents feel like, well, I'm in the trenches doing the day-to-day of getting kids to brush their teeth and go to school and do homework. And, you know, I can't control their genes, so I don't want to hear about that. But I really think that's a mistake because what it does is it causes us to put so much pressure on ourselves as parents. You know, we, we feel like it's all in our hands to shape our kids into, you know, competent adults. And when they're struggling, we question what are we doing wrong or is there something wrong with them? Um, and, and we can then also, by ignoring how important genes are, it, it can also lead to more judgment, right? We look at parents, you know, kids who are talking back or struggling, and we look at those parents and think, well, they really need to be you know, insert your favorite parenting advice. Um, 
And uh, as opposed to recognizing that some parents, you know, have kids that are just more challenging and they're, they're probably what, what is a strategy that they're using, which you might not understand is actually could be the best strategy for their child. So in the immediate term, what I hope we can do is, um, and what I hope to do with my book is to help parents understand how each of their kiddos is wired so that Mm. they can parent their child to be their, the best version of themselves and take some of the pressure off themselves as parents. But in the longer term, one of the things that scientists like me were working on is identifying all these genes involved in things like self-regulation, anxiety, um, why some people are more prone toward addiction or depression or, you know, which are kind of the behavioral extremes of some of these traits that we all vary on. And so we are actually in the process of identifying the genes, thousands of them across the genome. And then what you can do is literally sum up for any one individual how many of the, you know, increasing genes they carry, the genes that increase self-regulation, and how many of the decreasing genes, genes that decrease self-regulation or anxiety or whatever you're studying. And you can actually create a genome-wide score for somebody's set point, their starting point on something like impulsivity, anxiety, depression, addiction, propensity. And then the whole idea of, you know, what's called precision medicine, you know, the um, globally, we're pouring billions of dollars into precision medicine with the idea that we can harness genetics to understand, you know, what individuals are more at risk for. And so instead of going to the doctor when something's wrong, you know, when you're sick, and oftentimes as parents, we're looking for advice or solutions when something is wrong with our kids. Um, And so we'll be able to instead move things to a more preventative, personalized um, space. So we can essentially know something about like, okay, here are the things we're all at risk for something. Here are the things that we might be more at risk for. And so how do we put things in place, whether it might be certain medications for some kinds of, you know, um, medical outcomes, or when it comes to behavior, knowing, okay, here are strategies that we can put in place to help our kids before they develop challenges. Yeah, I was just going to get that. I mean, if, for example, and let's just choose addiction, if that tends to be an issue in the family and and you'd like your child to never have to worry about addiction, does the future hold, do you think, the possibility to engineer that out of a child's DNA? That takes us into a place of almost science fiction that I'm not sure we'll ever end up going. For certain biomedical diseases, um, very severe diseases caused by a small number of genes, that might be possible. For things like behavior, even something like addiction, it's influenced by thousands of genes. And one of the things that we know is that part of the reason it does run in family and part of the genetic predisposition toward being at increased risk of developing addiction is related to things like impulsivity and self-regulation. So how much your brain seeks out reward and likes new and exciting experiences versus how much your brain 
heavily weighs thinking through long-term consequences and more future planning. And so, so that is one of the ways that genes influence risk for addiction. But that said, we don't want to reduce all risk-taking because risk-taking can be a good thing. CEOs and entrepreneurs tend to be higher in risk-taking and reward-seeking. And so instead, it's a matter of by understanding that actually this is the mechanism. These are the ways, the pathways that our genes that we're born with can eventually lead to potentially being at increased risk for something like addiction. By understanding those pathways, what those genes show up as, as kids are growing up, what we can actually do is intervene early. So we can help our little risk takers, I certainly have one, you know, learn to manage risk. So, you know, some risk is a good thing. It it leads to exploratory behavior and trying new things. Too much risk and your child is, you know, falling out of the top of very tall trees and you're ending up in the ER. So it's helping kids learn to manage that Mm -hmm. natural tendency from a young age. And that actually reduces the likelihood that they will develop substance use problems as they get older and alcohol and other drugs come onto the scene. Isn't it amazing, Danielle, that a molecule, a model of which was first built here in Ireland by two men called Watson Crick, that it is still so fascinating all those years on? It is. It's what led me into this area. I was an undergrad who took a class on psychology, on understanding the brain, and I took a class on genetics at the same time. And I went, this is fascinating. How can I bring these things together? And it turns out that we have just seen exponential growth in genetics. It's the only field that rivals how much computing has advanced over you know the last century. I think it's fascinating to think about how much will our lives be changed by advances in genetics in the next 25, 50 years. And your book is a good starter for, for parents trying to figure out what is going on in their child's DNA. Dr. Danielle Dick, thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Not entirely sure if Dr. Dick's book is in bookshops here in Cork, but you can certainly get it online in all the usual sources. Cost you about 20 bucks. 1850-715-996. It's called The Child Code. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. We're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Ah, Sean Collins is the man's name who helped Jessie yesterday when she had a, a bit of a situation, shall we say, at the garage 
with the child being sick and she was trying to get petrol for the car and the card was declined and he paid the couple of quid for the diesel or whatever it was and she just wanted to thank him. His name is Sean Collins. He phoned in to say, look, he's a father himself. He did it out of empathy for another parent and asks that if Jesse wants to give back the money to donate it to Marymount. That's very kind. 185715996. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love my leap card. I absolutely love my leap card. And to see it at a place like Mallow train station looks like great progress. But unfortunately, Seamus Carney, not so simple. Good morning. Good morning. What's the problem? Mallow is all set up for leap, but. Yes, so it's all set up for leap. Um, is that the machines are the exact same as you'd have in Cork? and in Middleton, but we don't have the ability to use Leap at Mallow. So we're losing out on the, the, the cheaper fares that Leap um, that Leap give you when you take uh, when you take the train. So the machine is there, but you mm-hmm. can't use the card on the train? Yes. So the machines have been there since about 2014 when they put in the, the machines in, in uh, the, the same type of machines in, in Kent and in, in Middleton and Cove as well. Um, but we they haven't been enabled to use the the leap card to use the the leap card between Mallow and Cork. Um, so uh, the uh, the National Transport Authority, who would be kind of in charge of of uh, of, of of doing this, um, they initially uh, I, I contacted them I suppose three years ago and and asked would they would they enable um, leap card for Mallow, um, and they. They, at the time, they gave no commitments. They said uh, it just uh, it just wasn't uh, something that they were planning to do. Um, they just said that they they need to buy new equipment, which wasn't actually the case because the equipment's already in place. But they changed tact about two years ago in 2019, and they says they would do it. Um, but they haven't been there hasn't been any movement since. And Mallow commuters are losing out because if you take the leap car, if you take a, a journey from Mallow to Cork um, on the train, uh, you walk up. Pay your, pay your fare. An adult single fare is about eleven euro thirty five. Right. Whereas if you were to take your your leap card, you, you tap on. If you were to, if you had the ability to tap on, it would only charge you a maximum fare of four euro ninety. Crikey, that's less than half. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Now you will get. You know, if you if you're taking the train regularly, um, you'd be buying kind of returns, or you'd be buying um, yeah. sort of uh, you could do season tickets and things like that. But you know, for someone who wants to just go, you know, occasionally from Mallow to Cork, um, you and you want to take the train, you walk up to the station, you know, you're going to be paying um, more than more than double. And like, it's not, if you were to compare this same journey to some places, let's say um, in Dublin, um, if you go from Kilcock and Kildare to mm-hmm. Grand Canal Dock in Dublin city centre, mm-hmm. which is a, a journey journey distance of actually of, of very similar, it's about 30 kilometres, which is the same from Mallow to Cork, mm-hmm. um, you, are, you can use your leap card. Yeah, and pay that max fare of four euro ninety. Yeah, it's it's mad. And any explanation as to why it hasn't happened so far, other it, than well, we haven't so, got the equipment, kind of thing. Yeah. So the explanations they gave me back in back in twenty eighteen was that um, was that they didn't have the equipment, which which wasn't which wasn't the case, but also that there was no intermediate stops between the two. The distances was too long. But eventually they relented, and they they and this was due to as well Sean Sherlock. In fairness, has been very good uh, to to push this. They they kind of uh, the NTA finally decided they would allow leap card use in Mallow. Um, that was two years ago, May twenty nineteen, when they gave that commitment. Mm. But uh, the most recent, I've I got a recent response for them um, this month, and they says that they've added it as a short term goal in the what they call the Cork Metropolitan Area Transport Strategy, CMATS. Um, 
But they 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 published that plan last year, twenty twenty. But their short term goals, and I, I, I kind of it kind of defies the the the. the they the, said the okay in twenty nineteen, and they added yeah, to short term okay. goals in twenty twenty. But they they define a short term goal as anything that's delivered between one and seven years. <sighs> Couldn't make it up, could you, Seamus? Couldn't make it up. But it's not just it's not just the the the. The trains where we're losing out. Mallow also loses out um, with cheaper fares when you're taking the bus, because when you take the bus from um, Mallow to Cork, um, you'd be taking the 51, which is the which is the 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 Galway bus, yeah, Yeah, which is the expressway. But because expressways run as a commercial service with with bus airing, you don't get the leap discounts. So you can use your leap card, but you have to pay the full fare instead of getting the thirty percent discount that you would be normally getting um, if you were taking the taking the bus. And they want people to use more public transport and use the car less. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. And this should be like this type of thing for using your leap card at Mallow Station should be low hanging fruit. It's, they, they, you know, they, they, they'll give some excuses that, oh, they have some, some work to do on their fare structures, but this could be done quite, quite quickly. And, you know, it would be something achieved because we have this grand strategy, that CMAT strategy. This could be something that could be, that could be done, that could be, that could be ticked off, that could be says, look, we're, we're moving towards it. Um, but instead, we're they're sort of striking their heels and we, we don't know. It could be anything from, it could be done in the next month. Or it could be a couple of years. That's crazy. And as you said, you couldn't make it up. Seamus, thanks very much. 1850-715-996. Approved in 2019. Still not happening in 2021. A short-term goal. Anything under seven years. I swear to God. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See mig.ie. 5, 4, 3, 2, one. Text or WhatsApp now on 083 3 96 96 96. For your chance to play our 10K toy giveaway. Corks 96 FM. Premier League live back this Saturday at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage this Saturday of Leicester City against Chelsea at half past 12, Aston Villa v Brighton at 3, and Liverpool v Arsenal at half past 5. The Premier League live online with now. Stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. And listen Saturday on the Corks 96FM app or go to 96fm.ie. All right, we did it. Corks 96 FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With Douglas Village Shopping Centre for toys, food, fashion, and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. I got a pocket full of cash, money, money. Yep. Giving away loads of toy shopping sprees for free with the Corks 96 FM 10K toy giveaway with Douglas Village Shopping Centre. 50 years at the heart of the village. Shane, hello there sir. Hey there, how are we? Good, 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 good. I have a question for you. Will you chance it for me? We will of course. Be right. By the way, happy. would you be able to spend the 500 easy enough if you got it? Well, I'd say my darlings here not having their lunch and their, their breakfast. What, what age are they? Jacob is three, Ben is 19 months and Ruben is five months. Okay, you'd do a lot of work there with 500 quid. Good on you. All right, an A or B answer, okay? Finish the title of a popular 
Christmas song fairy tale of? Is it A, Chicago, or B, New York? B, New York. B, New York. Yay! Hey. All right, Shane. Shane McGill, you're through to the draw. Now, yesterday, Gillian got through to the draw with Lorraine in the evening, and she won through one of our 500 euro shopping sprees. So you're through to the draw, which happens on the big drive home. Happy with that? Ah, we're getting a big thank you from everybody. All right, Shane and the McGill family, through to the draw yesterday. Gillian, or Grace rather, was our winner yesterday with Lorraine. Could it be Shane's turn today? Wayne will have another contestant for you this afternoon. And then Lorraine will pick one. And then we'll give away two winners every evening on the Corks 96FM 10K toy giveaway with Douglas Village Shopping Centre. 50 years at the heart of the village. 1850-715-996. Do you give books anymore as presents, not just for Christmas, but for birthdays? I know this is the time of year when we get loads of books sent in to us here. Some people want to do an interview. Some people just want to give us their book. And, uh, you know, it's it's lovely to get books. I, I bought myself, actually, this year, I bought myself a present of a Kindle, an e-reader for the first time ever, and very handy. But there is nothing like the feel and maybe even the smell of a book. And one of the most famous bookstores of them all has opened in Cork on Patrick Street. I speak of Dubray Books, and Susan Walsh is their marketing manager. Welcome to Cork, Susan. Good morning. Thank you very much and good morning to you too. We're delighted to be in Cork. <laughs> now, as I said, I bought myself a Kindle to have with me in the bag and to carry around in the pocket of the jacket, but I am a lover of the good old-fashioned book. And is it absolutely. still is it still as popular as it ever was? It absolutely is. I mean, even in the last couple of years, physical book sales have go up every single year. I think they went up 8% or something last year. So during lockdown, people were still buying the physical book. And I mean, the comfort you get from it, like yourself, and being able to pass it on to your uh, your family members and share it around. And really, you know, you can bond over a book that you love. There's mm. nothing like it in the world. Yeah. And I have some great books to recommend if you need some more to read. I get to that. And, and that's the thing you can't really do with a book you buy electronically. It's on your reader. You can't just hand the book to your auntie and say, listen, you're going to no. enjoy that. You know, and yeah. that's why they're a bit cheaper. You, you can't you can't pass them on. But at the same time, the good old fashioned book, yeah. like I start collecting books, Susan, this autumn yeah. for my holidays yeah. next summer. <laughs> I hope you get a good long holiday. <laughs> I can read a book a day on holidays. Oh, God. I'm, I'm so envious people. of you. Yeah. I'm one of I those really people. would like a holiday like that right now because <laughs> there's... If you saw my to-be-read pile beside the bed now, uh, it's going to fall over on top of me any minute now. Um, so I can I can never see... I always seem to add about five at a time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being able to get through a book a day would be ideal. So what, uh, what are the bestsellers? This time of year, a load of, a load of biographies out. Uh, I spoke only last week with Richard Chambers. His book about the pandemic is out. Wonderful book. Absolutely. And loads yeah. of great Irish crime. Some, some incredible Irish crime out there. A lot of biographies. George Hamilton's got one out. Marty Morrissey was on here with me. Loads of biographies. Yeah. 
There is absolutely great. I mean, the books this autumn have just been, there's an amazing lineup. It's very hard to pick out just one. Um, I just, I'm getting one from my mom today, which is Lara Marlowe's book, um, mm-hmm. Love in a Time of War by her years, my years with Robert Fisk. Yeah. Um, so if you remember when he died, um, she wrote a piece. Um, and I actually I remember it vividly because she was actually married to him and they divorced years ago, but they remained friends. Right. Um, and she just wrote this really hard, warm and peace um, and so this whole book is about her life with him like from when she first met him back in Damascus um, in 1983 and she was only a young American reporter um, and he was the war correspondent That's now as you probably know she's the Irish Times correspondent yes. in Paris um, and she's a great writer but this particular story is just over spreads out over about 20 years of these two Fantastic journalists mm-hmm. uh, traveling through the Middle East um, from Lebanon to Iran and Algeria. I mean, this is, mm. I mean, it's a great story about the East. I've spoken to them both. Their own relationship. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to them both on this program over the years. Uh, Robert, whenever yeah. you could get him, was a most wonderful guest. God be good to him. And Lara has two profoundly interesting people in their own right. So reading about their relationship, I'd say, would be fascinating. Yeah. I don't think I even was aware of their relationship, but that, you know, when when he died, you know, and I just that's probably why it struck such a chord when I wrote his uh, wrote her piece. So this is the full book about their how they worked together, and oh my god, they went through some really hairies and experiences. Mm. Um, so really good for anybody who might mm. be interested in current affairs or in journalism, mm. um, but also just a great relationship story. What sounds better, fiction or nonfiction? Uh, which sells better this time of year? Fiction, uh, well, both probably evens, evens out quite a lot at this time of year. We sell a lot of nonfiction. Now, some people who might not read a lot during the year or regular book buyers will come in looking for a good sports biography like, you know, Keith Earls yeah. or, you know, Willie Anderson we've got there if you're in a rugby frame of mind this week. Um, but, uh, and they may not generally read the rest of the year. Um, so that's where nonfiction kind of comes into its own. And also like things like cookery books and all that make great Christmas gifts. Um, but novels like generally fiction sells more. Um, we'd mm. be kind of pretty much par and par in, in our company. We sell a lot of fiction and nonfiction and yeah. an awful lot of children's books as well. Yeah. Um, which again, of course, takes completely. Do off people still TV. buy books? I hope the answer to this is yes. Do people still buy, actually buy books for their children? Oh, definitely do. I mean, they really do. And we have a couple of packages um, in our, which you'll be able to buy in our new Patrick Street store um, for a, a per children's personal shopper experience. So actually the kids can come in accompanied by a guardian um, and sit down with a um, experienced bookseller and they will actually show them a load of books that they might be interested in. They get a little bit of uh, feedback in advance of what they might like, especially for like a reluctant Mm. reader and a parent really loves, I was always asking my, you know, they they always ask if a child is, you know, getting out of the habit of reading or, you know, they reach an an age, you know. And of course you can have a word with Santa too about the books and make sure that Santa can get his hands on the books as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah, If you pick up our Christmas catalogue, there's a nice letter to Santa you can fill in yourself. In one one minute, (laughs) Susan, give me a potted history of this famous bookstore, Dubre. Dubre, well, it started by Mrs. Helen Clear, um, 
1973 in Bray. So uh, I actually worked with, I've worked for Dubray Books for 25 years and I still miss Mrs. Clear, um, who used to <laughs> sit in her throne at the back of the Bray desk um, for a long time. Uh, it was it taken over then by um, Helen, or by Gemma Barry and her husband, Kevin, um, who ran it until Kevin passed away only just a few years ago. So it's been a, it's a very tight kind of small company. We've had eight shops for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so last week's kind of expansion into Cork and we opened another store in Dundrum. It was a very busy week. Um, it was the first kind of move in a long time. Uh, before that, we, uh, 2019, we opened a store in Liffey Valley. So we're quite a small kind of tight-knit company. We know each other very well. And, that, and that's probably and why it, that's probably why it's so yeah. probably why it's so successful as well. Do you know? Oh, we all move around. Emma, who's managing our Cork store, actually started with me in Bray 20 years ago. So <laughs> she knows her stuff inside out. Excellent. <laughs> and I can't wait to pop in and, and have a, a wander around and a browse on the new Dubray Books store. Welcome to Cork and some ideas there for your Christmas book gifts. That's it. Thank you, Susan. That's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We've been slammed busy all morning. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.